This morning we read from John 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus is talking to His disciples. He says, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, because He abides with you, and He will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. My whole family was devastated. I was seven years old, the youngest of three children. My mother was diagnosed with tuberculosis. The treatment then was to go away to a sanitarium for rest and recovery. But of course, when someone goes away with an illness like that, that you know can be fatal, and you're not sure they're going to return, you know others have gone and not returned, it can be a sad and scary place to be. The disciples, I think, today are in a similar situation with Jesus. He's been telling them that He's going away, and they're confused by all that He is saying. If you've been here the last few weeks or read closely through the Gospel of John, you know this section that we've been studying and looking at closely begins back here in chapter 13. This is how this section begins. John writes it like this. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. But then he washes their feet, talks about how he's setting them an example that they should love one another as he's just loved them. But then he talks about betrayal. But then after that, he gives them a new commandment. But just before the new commandment, he reiterates about his leaving in verse 33. He says, little children... I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And then he gives them the new commandment, telling them that they should love one another. This is how others will know that they are his disciples, by loving one another. And then, just as things seem to be sounding better, all of a sudden he's talking with Peter and predicting his denial. Then, as we read last week in the early parts of chapter 14, in the midst of all this confusion and angst, Jesus begins to share words of comfort and says, I'm going away, but in the meantime, you can do the works that I have done. Do as I do, love one another. That makes, I think, all the more powerful and poignant the words we read today when we're remembering that Jesus is getting ready to depart. 
when he says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. But it's not just any other. Somehow it is still Jesus coming back to them. In verse 18, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. This in the same conversation where he said, I'm going away. And yet he's saying, I'm coming back. The disciples were already confused I think as Jesus talks about this paradox, their minds must be exploding. What is he talking about? How can all of this be true? How can we make sense of this? He goes on to talk about this paradox of the mutual indwelling of God's love in him and he in God. In verse 20, on that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. What is all of that about? Obviously talking about a very close relationship. It is a theology of the Trinity as theologians talk about it. Talking about these relationships of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus goes further than that. In this passage, Jesus says that we are a part of the Trinitarian relationship. That's radical theology to talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then to say, we're in you and you are in us. God is in you and you are in God. So much of theology and pastors preaching emphasizes sin and how it's this great gulf between humanity and God. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here today. He's talking about this closeness, this mutual indwelling, this intimacy of love, not only between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but between you and God, between you and Jesus, you and the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 20, Jesus says, On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus declares we are living in God and God is living within us. But Jesus goes even further than that. He pushes us a little further to say these relationships are all interrelated and he places them in this context of mutual love. In that very last verse we read, He says, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. So often when we hear people talk about the Trinity or we read about the Trinity, the focus is entirely on the persons of the Trinity. How do we understand the sameness and the difference between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? But I think the key that we have in this part of John is something a little different. Jesus is focusing on the relationships within the Trinity rather than the persons or the character 
of the Trinity. Jesus is focusing on this relationship of love. And then Jesus includes us, humanity, in the middle of those relationships. It's a radical notion. It's difficult for people to imagine that we can be that close to God and God can be that close to us. Yet in other passages of Scripture, it says that God is as close to us or closer to us than our own breath. Where in God we live, move, and have our being. I read an article in Christian Century recently. It was by a professor of philosophy. The professor's name is K.A. Smith. He talks about his love relationship with logic and words. And as a young man, how he became so fascinated with philosophy and the power of words. He said he was converted to Christianity at the age of 18. But he said for him, it was not so much about a relationship with Jesus as it was he felt like he had found the philosophical truth of life when he began to have opportunities to go around and preach as a young man. He would preach about this truth, this propositional truth that he had found. He says, looking back on it, I wish I could go back to these congregations and apologize for boring them to death, sure, but also for a youthful selfishness, imagining my abstractions and speculations had anything to do with living the Christian life. He says his confidence in the power of logic was so strong, that's all he could see in his early days. He says now at midlife, he has changed his mind. He says early on he thought he might write op-eds that would change the world because they would change how everyone who read them thinks. Then he puts in parentheses, I was young. I was young. He discloses that the change that has been happening to him as a person in midlife came about in two ways. One, he says, it was through my own reading as I began to realize even the great philosophers could not capture what he calls the fullness of grace experienced in friendship with Christ and with the body of Christ. He said the other thing was experiencing his own, what he calls, season of dark depression. He said... It was something that defied logic. He could not think his way out of the depression. He said the depression refused to be solved by analysis. He says, finally, I had to go to therapy. I thought if I went to therapy, the therapist could give me the words, the answer, sort of the prepackaged answer to lead me out of this. He says, that's not what I found. He says, it was not the therapist giving me more information it was his patience and compassion through a remarkable ability to be with me in a way that embodied grace. In our passage today, Jesus says this advocate, or other times called a comforter or counselor or helper, Jesus says that one will be with you forever. The advocate, the comforter, the counselor will be with you 
forever. Professor Smith recalls a parable that he says finally kind of helped him have a breakthrough in all this. He says it tells the story of a man walking along who falls into a hole. The hole is so deep and the sides so steep he cannot climb out. He begins to yell for help. Finally, a person comes along and peers in the hole and he says, help, I need some help. And the man looking in says, good, I'm a doctor, and writes a prescription and drops it in the hole and walks on down the road. The man continues to yell for help. Someone else comes by, peers in. It's a priest. The man says, I need some help. The priest says, I can help. Bow with me. Says a prayer. Walks on down the street, leaves the man in the hole. He's still screaming. He needs help. Finally, a man peers over. He recognizes him as a friend. He says, oh my gosh, so glad you were here. I need help. And the man jumps in the hole. And the guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both stuck in here. And he said, well, we're both here. But I've been here before. And I know the way out. Professor Smith reflects on all of that and then quotes a sermon by saint augustine and augustine said when he was preaching on psalm 139 which is about there's nowhere you can go that god is not there augustine said here's the god who jumps down into the pit with you here's the god who doesn't just throw a life preserver out but swims out into the sea to save us. Jesus says, God is with us. I'm going away, but there's another who's coming. That one will be with you forever. You can hear it in the last part of verse 17. Jesus says, this one who's coming, you know him. Because he abides with you and he will be in you. And then again in that last verse, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by the Father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Jesus is saying the revelation, this revelation God is trying to share with us all through the Christ comes clear us when we're in these mutually loving relationships in this passage jesus as usual focuses on love and the power of love in relationship first in the godhead in terms of the trinity but for us jesus says when you receive and share that love you will see me revealed in your midst We've been talking about all these different ways to know Jesus, all these different images that are in Scripture. We can meet Jesus in person, but Jesus says, if not that, you can meet me in my works. You can meet me in the breaking of the bread. The one passage talks about we can meet him because we can hear his voice. This passage today from John, says we can meet him by entering into relationships of mutual agape love. Agape is that Greek word translated as love here that reminds us that this kind of love does the good, wants good for others, wills the good, and then does the good. 
Jesus is proclaiming, I think, this thing we call God's grace, telling us that God was working for our good before we even know it and continues to work for our good even if we don't recognize it. It is God's gift. It is God's grace given to us. Well, I told you that my mother went away when I was seven. Well, nine months later, she came back. It's like Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. She came back, and it was a day of rejoicing and embracing, a day of hugs and kisses. She has been with us ever since. In fact, tomorrow we'll be celebrating her 94th birthday. She is here with us this morning. This ongoing experience or relationship of love. Jesus uses the word abide to describe this kind of ongoing loving relationship that happens with God over time. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will abide with you and be in you. Martin Ringhart was a Christian back in the 1600s. He was a poet and a hymn writer. In 1636, he wrote about God's love and tied it to our mothers. I want to read you just a full, uh, one verse of how he talks about this. He says, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Amen. And thanks be to God.